to a truly special edition of the George Sanders show. I know every week I start out by saying something about how spectacular or how special or how wonderful this episode is going to be. But uh, you might not know it based on the fact that this is episode 38, uh, what kind of mon monument can happen on episode 38. But this is actually, if you are not aware, um, the one-year anniversary of, of us getting together, Sean, in your old and uh, recording our first episode, the drug war, um, big heat episode of the George Sanders show. So, congratulations. You survived a year with me. <laughs> it, it seems like much longer. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe you didn't fully survive. Yeah. Who knows? There've been some battle scars. It's been a long time. Yeah. Our, our last episode, our first episode went up on June 28th, 2013. Yeah. It's recording this it, on June 29th. Yeah, it seems uh, it seems like it's been much longer than one year. Well, a lot's happened. You know, yeah. I mean, you moved. You you had a you had a kid, right? Didn't you have a kid sometime in the middle of this? No, no. Okay. No, 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 no kids in the past year. <laughs> I don't know. I can't keep track. How many you have? Like four? Uh, just just the two. Just the two. Oh, just we're, the two. We're, we're holding it. We're holding it two. You're holding it two. Okay. Uh, but still, a lot of stuff's happened. It's true. Yes. Um, you know, and, but, you know, it, this show has kind of been in my life in the, in, over that period. And, and that's been kind of nice to be able to turn towards this in my hour. And I've had plenty of hours of need in the last uh, year or so. I'll tell you that much. But, well, that is, that is, you know, what George Sanders is, is there for. It's true. Yeah. It's, well, <laughs> As long as you don't think his uh, the end of his life, but yes, absolutely yeah. true. Um, <laughs> going with this uh, special episode, we have uh, a first on the show today. Um, we have our first and probably our last um, George Sanders show interview, um, and it's not an interview with just some random Joe down the street. You know, uh, we. An interview with uh, director Bong Joon-ho, um, talking about his new film Snowpiercer, am amongst other things. Um, and we were talking about Snowpiercer as um, Virgin Stripped Bare by Her Bachelors, uh, the 2000 film from Hong Sang-soo. Uh, so, cool. You know, I I'm looking forward to it. How, how are you feeling? I'm, I'm okay. I'm just, I'm just hoping... <laughs> Well, you know, we, we're like experimenting on solutions to our, our sound issues and I'm just, I'm hoping it all works out and my, my fingers are crossed, which is getting difficult because it's been an hour since we started tinkering with this and my fingers are starting to hurt. So yeah, the, this could also be the episode of the George Sanders show, if we're being quite honest with you all. Um, but you know, let's go out with a bang, right? Sure. Uh, <laughs> well, let's let's get this party started. Let's uh, let's hear a clip from the new film Snowpiercer. Well, uh, 
circular railway that extends for 438,000 kilometers and completes one circle every year. Passengers, as in the beginning, I belong to the front. You belong to the tail. Keep your place. Curtis, is it time? Now isn't the time. But when is the time? Soon. Are you Nam Min Su? Security specialist? We control the engine. We control the world. This time we take the engine. Then pop. We kill him. So the big uh, science fiction blockbuster release of uh, hitting theaters this week is, of course, uh, Snowpiercer, directed by Bong Joon-ho, uh, starring Tilda right. Swinton, Chris Evans, and, uh, and John Hurt. Uh, it is about a, a post-apocalyptic world where uh, the solution to global warming has gone horribly wrong and the Earth has become frozen, and the only surviving humans happen to be on this train that just keeps going and going and going around the world. And it's been going for, for 17, almost 18 years as the movie starts. And the train is, is very rigidly divided in a, in a caste system where the, the poor and miserable people are at the back of the train and the, the very rich hoity-toity folks are at the top of the train enforcing the social order with, uh, you know, guns and, and axes and, uh, violence and, and crazy religion. And the, the plot of the film follows a group of poor people as they try to overthrow the system by moving to the front of the train. It's, it's, a, pretty, it's a pretty simple setup for a, a very uh, kind of straight-ahead narrative that lends itself easily to, uh, to allegories and a lot of puns. And I, I actually, I thought it was, uh, I dug it. What did you think? <laughs> End of show. End of show. It's it's good. I liked it. Uh, I'd like to point that uh, you made a joke at the beginning of your setup there, um, saying that the the blockbuster release of the the weekend was was Snowpiercer. It took me about halfway through your description to to realize or to remember what actually the blockbuster movie that this weekend was. So. I'd just like to point that out, that is, I is have the, no idea what's going on. <laughs> is, is, is there another one? I, I, you, there might be. I don't know. I check, don't know. check your local listings. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I like Snowpiercer. I do. Um, I, I have problems with it, um, particularly in the third 
of the film, and I and I don't think I'm the only one. Uh, I haven't read too much about people's opinions about this film, but I, I've seen this trickle out a little bit. Um, the the end of the film gets very exposition heavy, um, and it kind of has to in a way to kind of get everything it wants to get out out there. A, a little clunky in its uh, execution of that. Um, but on the whole, I think the movie's, I think the movie's good. I, I, you know, I didn't see it under the most ideal conditions. Um, I saw it at home on an iPad. Um, it'd be a really great big screen um, experience, but uh, as of circumstances, I, I couldn't be before um, recording the show, but I'd like to, I would like to see that um, on the big screen. I watched all of Bong Joon-ho's films uh, in the past couple of weeks, and this one is on the lower end. Um, but I still think it's good. I think all of his films kind of range from good to really good. Um, I don't think of any of his... I, you know, I don't consider any of his films like phenomenal masterpieces, um, but they're all well They're They're cool films, and, uh, you know, this one is logistically a pretty difficult film to pull off. And I think for the most part, uh, he does a good job of, of um, getting all these kind of characters together. And um, it just throws you into this thing. You know, it, it, it's, it starts, it's the revolution begins pretty darn quickly there. And, um, and the movie, you know, <laughs> you know, puns and I want to try to avoid them in this, this it kind of rolls along smoothly um well i don't i don't think you can avoid the puns i think they're they're deliberately there i mean they you know it's into, you know gene shallot over here <laughs> well it just does well the whole i mean it's not just you know the the plot has a lot of momentum as it rolls forward like a you know a runaway train but there's there's like other puns within the film like one of the uh one of the kind of uh uh bits of backstory is that uh uh, there's a lot of of people on the train missing arms uh for various reasons like there's uh, uh early in the film somebody gets punished by having like their arm frozen off and then you know the the removal of of arms takes a on a more kind of heroic uh, uh turn. turn uh towards the end of the film but but the whole point of the film is that these these you know people the masses are taking up arms against their uh, their their controllers and and they're all traveling along on the on the on the train which is which is this you know literal ship of state and no it's i think i think i think it's it's pretty hilarious and uh and right at the end it gets you know it gets even even trippier with its puns as one of the the heroes uh who has been like gathering up drugs through the whole thing because you know supposedly he's an addict he's not actually an addict he's just using the drugs to help you know blow open the system to think outside the train and open up the doors <laughs> <laughs> And yeah. it's, 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 it's really, it's really funny, I think. <laughs> and it, it, you know, um, it's kind of funny in the, in the way that, uh, that I think the host is, is, is funny. Uh, it's just, I think that's kind of Bong's unique contribution to these, these genre films is he gives them just like a slight idiosyncratic twist. Uh, this is only the, the third of his movies I've seen. Uh, the other one was, uh, was Mother, which I didn't really care for all that much. But uh, 
I think I think this is right up there with the host. I think it's it's good. Uh, yeah, I, I I feel like this one is a little a little too strident. I mean, yeah, sure, it's got a little bit of its that kind of humor to it, but it, this one takes itself a little more seriously than uh, something like the host does. Yeah, and you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how much of 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 these kind of puns are in the source material. I assume it's actually all in the source material. I don't want to give Bong credit for that, but you know, I well, don't, I don't want to get off on like an auteurist tangent, but because you know. <laughs> we'll we'll be talking more about that later. <laughs> right. Uh, yes, we certainly will. Um, yeah, from what I gather, and I haven't read the the graphic novels that. The, um, I think the basic premise, it was, I mean, I think this is vastly different from what the, the graphic novel is, but of course I can't speculate on to, you know, really what's in it and what's not. So, um, you and I tend to agree more often than not on it. We're not, you know, people don't tune into the show. Well, no one tunes into the show period, but, uh, people don't tune for a good argument because to be honest we don't argue all that much um but i've never felt confident in you and i agreeing on anything that i'm about to i'm about to um when i ask you this question on the count of three tell me what the greatest part of snowpiercer is all right ready one two three tilda Tilda swinton hey where are you where were you Well, we're you know we're talking over the internet. There's like a a, a slight lag there. You know the the timing can't be exactly right. But of course it's <laughs> it's Tilda Swinton. You know there's Tilda Swinton in this movie is you're talking about the humor. She's she's like in a different movie. I mean it's she is so much fun in this thing, yeah. um, and it's infectious. I mean. From from the moment she shows up wearing this this wig and and these false teeth these like false teeth that sit in her mouth, um, she is just having a blast and it is so much fun to watch. I mean, she's just great. And and she plays off so well against against Chris Evans, who is of all of the cast is the only one who appears to not be having any fun at all, which is just uh, which is perfect. Yeah, he is really straight. I mean, he's you know he's very straight. I mean, that, I mean that's it's it's in, it's in the character. He's he's supposed to be the uh, the kind of serious, anguished one, whereas everyone else is is just kind of insane. But the but the contrast of, of the two of them is just is just great. And I I love that this is the second movie to be released in theaters this year that that stars Tilda Swinton and John Hurt. I know. I think yeah, they I should be, they should be in every movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they really should. I mean, it would at least get, you know, talked about on the George Sanders because we've talked about both of those films at length um, on here. And yeah, he's great too. Um, but Tilda Swinton, my God. I mean, <laughs> anytime she would leave the screen, I would kind of, you know, kind of count the seconds until she would return. But uh, oh my gosh, she's wonderful. Um so I want to I want to I want to talk talk about um, a bit about what the film is is actually about because it's it's clearly kind of an allegorical uh, statement about the way society works and and the way 
you know, the, the speeches that are given at the end and the, the, the kind of expositional ending that you were talking about where the, the engineer who built the train is talking about like the, the system that they've set up and, and the necessity for, for everyone to be in their place. Uh, it actually requ- reminded me of, of two things. So I'll let you, you choose the, uh, the classical anecdote. I will, uh, I will relate to you. Uh, you either get uh, the Roman Emperor Diocletian or Plato's Republic? For Diocletian, Sean. That's my final answer. All right, Diocletian. Uh, Diocletian was a Roman emperor in the late 200s, uh, and he basically kind of knit the empire back together and reorganized its governmental structure. And in order uh, to kind of deal with the economic crisis, crises that the empire was suffering at the time, which was basically uh, rampant inflation because the Romans didn't understand how inflation worked. He created a new tax system where instead of paying money in taxes, you would pay in kind. So if like you were a goat herd, you would you know pay a certain amount of goats every year. Or if you were a, a shoemaker, you would pay your taxes in a certain amount of shoes. So the problem with that kind of tax system is that if everyone decides to be a, a shoemaker, then you don't have enough goat herders anymore. So what he did to, to counter that is basically mandate that your profession would become hereditary. So if your father was a shoemaker, you would be a shoemaker. Your grandson would be a shoemaker. Your great-great-grandson would be a shoemaker. And that, that kind of uh, froze any kind of mobility between social classes right at this point in the late 200s. And it worked for a while, and it basically laid the foundation for the manorial or, or feudalist system that dominated Europe for the next thousand years or so. And, and gave everybody last. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the the system that that is that has developed on the train reminded me very much of that it, it like like rome in the in the late 200s is is in a crisis state they have all of these people on this train and they don't know what to do so they have to create a rigid caste system where everyone has the role to their role to play in their society and now it just so happens that you know some people get to be at the front of the train and some people have to be at the back of the train. And yeah, it kind of sucks for those people at the back of the train. But if they don't do their job, then the whole system collapses. Which is nice to say when you're in the front of the train. Right. Of course. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I thought this was a, a neat illustration of that similar dynamic. The The kind of... Uh, social rigidity that can form in in crisis situations. And then the whole point of the film becomes about whether or not that is actually sustainable anymore. Whether or not the world is actually still in crisis, and if the the train is able to go off the tracks to realize that it's no longer as dire a situation as perhaps it once was. Right, and actually, that's one. You know, for my, um, you know criticisms or, or problems with that final third i do really like you know in the absence i really like the turns that the film takes to kind of you know like if it is even necessary anymore if you know another way you know to 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 go and um so yeah i think that i really like them you know 
the movies, I, I just don't really, you know, sometimes the way that those ideas are played out doesn't really uh, work too well, in my opinion. But Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that it's a particularly deep movie, but it's like it's an no, no, no. It's a it's an interesting you know depiction of interesting ideas, uh, but it's it with most good it most it mo- yeah it mostly plays around at the surface of those ideas in order to deliver like a, a you know a compelling action movie narrative with like weird bits of comedy thrown in. Like the whole bit of with uh, with Allison Pill as the uh, the school teacher, you know, it, it illustrates how you know how how quickly these kind of radical you know social notions can be instilled into a society to you know where it's like drilled into children's brains and they have like these songs and they build up this whole pseudo religion around the guy who who you know runs the train. Uh, and it, it's, it's so easily, you know, takes over people's minds and, and they adapt so easily to this condition that like even the Chris Evans character can no longer remember what life was like before the train, even though he was, you know, 17 years old when, you know, the apocalypse happened and, you know, that's, that's neat, but mostly it serves for as, you know, like a vehicle for a crazy Alison Pill performance and then like a really, uh, you know scary and disturbing action scene as like, you know, eggs turn into weapons. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And from a technical standpoint, like I'd I'd like to talk about, I'm glad you school scene. um, And I guess touched upon and will be talked about briefly later on in the show, but um, it takes place in technically one location of the train but um, I think uh, Bong does a really good job of, of between all of these different worlds. And, you know, it, it's all gray and bleak in, in the beginning at school. And it is all colored. And it's like, it, you know, it opens up. It feels in there. Um, and I, I feel like he, he did a really good job um, kind of, giving each scene each each world its own personality and and it feels um you know it, you never feel like confined really i mean you feel confined when you're supposed to feel confined i guess but um you know it it <laughs> i avoid I, I cliches here and it's really hard to do um the movie keeps chugging along, Sean. It really does. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think I think it kind of kind of overplays that. Like, do things really need to be that bad at the back of the train? I I don't know. Does there need to be like such a sharp contrast between the forward sections and the rear sections? And sure. you know that that's fine. Uh, it it actually you know you know thinking about it, it kind of reminds me of of RoboCop. Which is which is sure. similarly similarly like a, a really cool action movie with like this this kind of you know political ideology kind of grafted around like the corners of it and it doesn't really explore that politics or that philosophy in great detail but it just it's there to add like a window dressing of of respectability to it and and that's fine I don't mind that yeah but you know you have to admit it is actually really that bad. They weren't anything when they made RoboCop. That's like a documentary. 
Yeah, I mean, I it it actually makes Detroit look look pretty nice. I, <laughs> that, that's that's not nice to say. I, I'm I'm sure Detroit is a wonderful <laughs> place. So, uh, so what do you think about like the 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 drugs coming in at the end? Like, as I was thinking about this movie today, I'm it's it's basically uh, like an anti public service announcement. It's basically saying, uh, you know, you are. It's like this this kind of like high school hippie kind of message that it's sending across is like the society is just trying to keep you down, man, and you need to like take the LSD to so you can like open the doors and think outside and like see reality for what it really is. Right. Did it convince you? you did, yeah. Did it convince you to to seek out some you know special mushrooms or or something? <laughs> Uh, did well, did you did you want to turn on Pink Floyd and and stare at your ceiling? I would just like to I I was high while I watched the movie um, and I'm high right now. Um, I will I will re- um, for the duration of this. So you just don't want your kids you don't want your kids to hear this in like years. That's that's what's going on here. Actually, no. Elizabeth uh, kept coming downstairs and wanting to watch the movie, and you know it was, it was fine for a while. But at the time that they took uh, like the kid from Train Spotting's arm and like stuck it out the train, and when they brought the right. arm in, we knew what was going to happen to the arm, so we sent her to bed there, and you know we watched, <laughs> we watched what happened to the arm, and then she came back down, and so oh, okay. I, I kind of like usher her out for like the most disturbing parts. Uh, which, I, I I didn't actually realize that that was you and Bremner until the the end. I had like when I was looking at the credits or whatever. I like yeah. I totally d- did not recognize him. Yeah, uh, well, it's because he has so much more hair than he had in in Yeah, yeah like a, that was like twenty years ago though. So you know, he's, he's had a lot of time to grow hair since then. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I I wish I I liked. The movie more like it's it's kind of missing something like a like a you know a more you know in depth or original take on its uh, kind of political theory or just kind of a, a, a trippier kind of of visual imagination. Like I I think I think that Bong you know you know frames and and cuts well, but there's very few images here that really kind of stick with me as like really disturbing or really or really shocking. There's like the, you know, the kid in the gears of the machine and like the, you know, the one scene that he knows is really cool because he does it in slow motion and it's got like the, you know, like the trippy uh, uh, score going with the, uh, like the axe gang. But, but other than that, it's, it's. That seems awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Other than that, it doesn't, it doesn't really, you know, stand out to me visually. Yeah, you know, it's funny is, um, like I said, I watched his other films uh, in, in preparation for Tim, and uh, I would actually say this might be the least visually entertaining film of his, and that includes films that, like, he does this short uh, on that omnibus, you know, Tokyo thing that is just, you know, it's a, it's very, it's just a, a meat cute kind of a kind of twisted meat thing um that their images that just see from just watching it that one time and they're they're indelible and uh and really and 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 um there's some 
visual gags and stuff in it um, that are going to stick with me far more than most of the stuff I saw in Snowpiercer. So uh, I don't know why that necessarily is, but. Yeah, I don't know. And, you know, I, I, I neglected to mention uh, uh, Tilt Swinton, who is the, the greatest visual effect of all. It's true. Yeah. She, she really is. Um, <laughs> she's great. <laughs> okay, well, final question about this movie. Um, there was a, a big push and pull between um, the Weinstein Company and Bong Joon-ho about getting, um, you know, which, which cut is going to get released in the United States, whatever, and, and Bong Joon-ho and, and his version of the film is out there. Do you think this movie could have used editing? Do you think it could stuff that could have tightened it up a little bit? Or, um... No, I mean, in, in general, I'm really bad at the, uh, well, this, you know, you talk, shop 20 minutes out of this movie and it would be great game. I... I am terrible at that because I I really don't know how what you would cut out from this. I I don't it all seems it all seems to to flow together and and be you know a a single statement. I like I think I think it's just fine the length that it is. I completely agree. I mean, you know, despite my problems with the final third, the final third is very necessary and I can't see any of it just cut in this, you know, pre-release, you know, screening that they did or whatever where they cut 20 minutes out of it um you know i was just playing and just seeing because i agree with you despite my film i think the film is uh needs to be you know what i mean i change it um in an editing you know suite or like that so yeah i mean that's that's it it's just never. It's never. It's not. Uh, it's not a criticism I ever really think of, and I don't know that it's that it's one that I ever that I ever make. Is like this movie is too long, or you know they should you know have I mean? cut out this. It's just. It's just not the way I think about movies. Movie I thought about that with though a lot. I, I agree with you. I don't. I don't do it often either. But uh, Django Unchained. Mm. <laughs> While I was watching that, I was like, yeah, I'd cut that scene. <laughs> yeah, that can go. I mean, I really like the time I felt that way with the Tarantino movie. Um, I'll tell you that much. But anyway, that's another tangent. Yeah, with like with the, with, a, with a movie like like Django Unchained, that's that's a different scenario. I mean, that's a that's a movie that it's like it's confusing how all the parts fit together, and and it has like this herky jerky rhythm, and and you think it ends and then it doesn't end, and you know it's. It, it's kind of hard to to comprehend in a in a single sitting, whereas Snowpiercer is one unified whole that has a relentless forward momentum. Like it just keeps going, and you know you you could cut out bits of Django Unchained, and and you maybe you you would change the whole experience, but maybe you don't change like the core experience of what the movie is about. Like, but with, with Snowpiercer, it's all necessary to the kind of allegory that it's making and to the, you know, the action narrative that it's trying to tell. Well, and also, you know, I'm just thinking of this right now, but um, kind of crucial elements happen in pretty much everything in this movie. And when I say crucial elements, usually I'm referring to somebody dying. <laughs> Sure. Um, so I don't know how you you would cut much from this movie because you'd be like, <laughs> you know, no longer there. Um, and that was a you know that was a thing I did really like about 
is that this movie was not afraid to kill off um, a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, well, um, you remember way, way back in, was like episode four, where we talked about uh, Tears of the Black Tiger, which, uh-huh. which was a film that, that was, was taken over by, I don't, I'm not sure if it was the Weinsteins or if it was Magnolia. Uh, it was taken over by somebody and, and recut, and they totally changed the ending of the film to where the version you I saw, think it was you saw Weinstein. the, yeah, was it Weinstein? Well, you saw the, you saw the real version of the film and it had like this unhappy ending. And I saw the version on instant Netflix, which is the cut version. And it had a happy ending, but then like a really sad song at the end. And you know, that, that is an example of, I think what would, what Snowpiercer would have been like had, you know, Weinstein been allowed to, to cut out a section of it. Like, I think, I think the movie just would not make sense either either right. logically or or just tonally it would just be weird like somebody no, would be I, really I, upset I, about a, a character that dies and you're like who is that i don't know why do we care he seems upset <laughs> chris evans seems really bad about that yeah <laughs> yeah why is chris evans uh you're right see that happening too uh, <laughs> Well, thank God we don't have to suffer through that. Um, well, if you get a chance uh, uh, in the big cities uh, right now, and I think it's expanding a little wider next week. Um, I could be wrong. Um, so, yeah. you know, if you get a chance, go check it out. Yeah, and definitely if, if you're in Seattle, go see it at the uh, the SIF Uptown. Uh, it was it was through the, the SIF people that we were able to both watch the movie and... Uh, and and talk to uh, to director Bong Joon Ho, which uh, which we're going to do after we listen to Tom Waits sing a song about a train. Outside another yellow moon, in the nighttime. I climb to the window and down to the street I'm shining like a new dime The downtown trends of food For all those Brooklyn girls They try so hard to break out of their little worlds Now you wave your hand and they scatter like clothes They have nothing that will ever capture your just thorns without the rules Be careful of them in the dark Oh, if I was one You chose to be your only one Oh, yeah. can't you hear me now? Can't you hear me now? Well, I see you All right, so uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, director Bong Joon-ho was in Seattle, and uh, we were lucky enough to be able to to send Mike over to the uh, the junket to to have a chat with him. <laughs> how how was that, Mike? How, did you 
Did you get like a free donut and, and coffee? I didn't get any free stuff. No, no. Uh, it was it was interesting. Uh, it was on a Monday. It was a Monday afternoon and I was working. Um, and so I had to ask my boss if I could take an hour or two of vacation uh, and go downtown. And she said, sure. Um, and uh, I got stuck in horrible traffic. Um, and then on my way to the hotel, it was some swank hotel on First Avenue in downtown Seattle. Say what you will about the Weinstein Company. They might cut your movie to hell, but they put you up in an I'll tell you that much. Um, but on my, way, on my way to the hotel, I got attacked by this giant crow. <laughs> um, I felt some like hit the back of my head. I was like a block away from the hotel. And I was like this, like, it, it wasn't like a smack, but I felt something like bang against my head. And I was like, what the hell? And I turn around and this crow is like circling me. Um, I, I guess it was, I was on its turf or something or I was, you know, and so... Um, yeah, you were probably anyway, you were I, probably near its nest. I was. I might have been. My hair may have looked like its nest. That, that might be what that it, what is, it was. That is most likely uh, it. Um, so anyway, I beat to the hotel to the sanct sanct uh, to the sanctity of the hotel. Um, anyway, so um, yeah, no, it was. I. I kind of just pretended like this happens all the time and it seemed to work out just fine. So, you know, um, Bong was really nice. Um, seemed, he seemed genuinely, you know, I wouldn't say happy to see me, but he seemed enthusiastic about the idea of talking. Um, and decently, <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess our listeners will decide. <laughs> um, and I should say there. I cannot. I, I should have written down his name. It's been two weeks now, so I don't remember, and I apologize. But uh, there was also a, a translator there, um, and Bong, as you'll notice, speaking in English. But then, as he gets into more, you know, detailed descriptions of stuff, he'll start speaking in Korean, and then the um, translator will chime in. So uh, I'm, I apologize that I did not remember his name, but he was a nice guy too. So um, yeah, so it was fun. I don't know. I mean, cool. it'll probably never happen again. <laughs> yeah. Well, with with that, let's uh, let's go ahead and listen to the the George Sanders show Bong Joon Ho interview. Um, and only like half of these are Captain America questions. So you know. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. <laughs> So Snowpiercer um, is adapted from someone else's material. Yeah, um, French Yeah, and which I haven't read. But um, was that experience restrictive in any way, or did you find the process like freeing, being able to just use someone uh, else's work? Is no, no restriction because the, everything is very different from graphic novel. Yeah. So the only the basic idea setting the human survivors living in the learning train. Right. That very unique idea from graphic novel, or the other thing character, episode, narrative is totally different. Right. New creation by adaptation screenwriting. So yeah, yeah and the authors of the original graphic novel, they were totally because comics and, and movies are different. Yeah. Do what you want to So it took a while, it took a year to write this yeah, usually when someone's trying to be too faithful to something, you know, then it just kind of doesn't work. So, you know, it's <laughs> nice to have that freedom to do that. Um, were there any 
particular films that help like help you prepare for this or like influence like maybe the visual style or anything for the film? Are, are you a big fan of Japanese animation? Japanese yeah. Japanese animation? Yeah. The, the Galaxy Express 999. Oh yeah, I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So that's also about a Chinese and also during pre-production, I watched the Andrei Konchalovsky Runaway Train. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Zawakira script. Yeah, and also the the train by John Frankenheimer. It's a masterpiece. I, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, we uh, this so this is a podcast. Oh, we do it. Yeah, we did an episode on the train. Um, gosh, it was a few months ago. Yeah. First time I'd seen it. Blew my mind. I mean, that movie's absolutely amazing. Amazing. Yeah, yeah it's uh, a it, very, it's a, it's a black and white, but very dynamic. And I love every camera movement, and the move, the yeah, the Butterancaster 움직이는 방식도 재밌고 뭐다 영화 재밌어. Just the way Lancaster moves. Yeah. Mm. And he does all of his own stunts. He's like tumbling down that hill, yeah, and yeah, that, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just very physical. Yeah. Very realistic. Yeah. I love that, and also, 북극의 제왕. The Emperor, Emperor of the Nose, <laughs> yeah, the Ernest Borgnine and Lee Marvin is very, movies very different from Snowpiercer, but very tough and primitive. I in the movie Snowpiercer, I really hope to make very primitive and very physical battle. Yeah, inside the train. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, that's okay. That was very inspirational. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that, so we do two movies an episode. Mm. We did The Train and we did Emperor of the North. That was our episode. So you're, you're on the right track. I mean, that's amazing. Um, well, I wanted to talk to you about the fight scenes in Snowpiercer. Um, one of the, your, you know, my opinion, one of your strengths as a filmmaker is really getting a really great rhythm um, in, in a, a given scene. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm thinking in Snowpiercer in particular of the, um, the axe fight yeah, yeah. and how... In the uh, it, you know it starts and you got the people facing each other and the music's mm. ominous and then when the fight starts the music cuts out mm. you know and then halfway through you slow the action down yeah. where in the process I'm sure this is all along the way but mm. you, when do you decide and make those decisions is that in editing or do you have that planned out in advance it's all planned it's all in script and it's all in the storyboard really so it's okay. all planned and the, the the slow motion, 예를 들어 뭐 프레임 숫자 수 같은 것도 다 정해져 있었고 스토리보드에서 다 이미 그리고 그 전투 자체가 되게 스테이지가 여러 개잖아 무슨 문 열릴 때 대치할 때 피쉬 이거 해서 뭐그 피쉬 리추얼 할때그 다음에 뭐 터널 들어가고 나오고 뭐 정말 기나긴 싸움인데 그긴 싸움에 걸쳐서 다 스토리보드를 미리 완성한 상태에서 촬영 들어갔지. Yeah, so um, even like how many frames a second he's going to shoot a certain shot like that's all predetermined is at the storyboard stage and this fight it's a very long fight and there's many stages to it like when the gate first opens and there's that uh, standoff and the, the fish cutting ritual and going in and out of the tunnel it's just a really long fight that was all court planned ahead of time yeah it's very i mean i could tell you know it's very meticulous and it's mm -hmm. i mean it really well done i mean it seems like it was a lot of work to get that just that sequence alone, and you know there are plenty of other fights too in the film. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's that's incredible. Um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of your short uh, Tokyo shaking from the. Oh, did you see? Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have any interest in making like a feature length, like romantic comedy or something along those lines? Because that's kind of a departure for you. You know, you're 
especially your more recent stuff has yeah. been a little darker. But that I found that short yeah. really good and fun. I, I can make any genre except yeah. musical. <laughs> no interest, or you just don't think you can do it. The love story, I want to do it again. He would like to take a shot at a love story, but uh, maybe when he's a little bit older. Michael Winter, but Tom Jude got in Yes, like Jude by Michael Winterbottom, mm -hmm. just something that goes beyond just a romantic story, you know, that kind of captures the sense of a, an era and um, uh, a feeling of that's heavy, like a heavier drama. Shaking Tokyo is 30-year-old Dantian, so I wanted to do it more so he does want to make a movie kind of like his short um, in Shaking Tokyo. Like it's a 30-minute film, so he was able to sort of approach it in a very relaxed way. But uh, he does have ambition to make something longer like that. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, I, I understand. You, you've got a long career ahead of you, so, you know. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but that would be really interesting. I'd be interested yeah, in seeing yeah. something like that. Um, I read a quote from you where you were talking about how relatively tight-knit the Korean film community is because mm -hmm. it's relatively smaller, yeah. um, obviously, than, you know, American film, you know. Um, my co-host, who's not here, um, Sean, in particular, is a huge Hong Sang-soo fan, and uh, yeah. he's wondering... Do you have any good Hong Sang Soo anecdotes of him drunkenly stumbling down the stairs or something like that? Hong Sang Soo, uh, Oh yeah, really? Hong Sang Soo, um, 최근에 뭐 어, 내가 뭐 같이 술 뭔가 나랑 술 먹고 어떤 일이 발생하면 이게 나중에 형상수 영화에 나오게 될지 모른다라는 약간 그런 불안감과 동시에 흥분되는 그런 느낌이 다 있지 사람들이. So you know it's uh, he's he's friends with director Hong and they drink you know like once or twice a year and uh, it's always one of those sort of exciting and sort of uh, a worrisome thing where <laughs> you, you don't know, like you think, oh, if something happens when we're drinking, if that's going to make it into a film, one of these. Sure. <laughs> this is me and Hong Sang Soo. Oh, that's great. During drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I touched him. <laughs> Does it annoy you uh, how how frequently he makes a movie? He's got one out like every six <laughs> months or so. <laughs> 이 양반은 자기만의 작은 인더스트리를 만들었어. 그 학교에서 교수하면서 그 학교에 있는 퍼실리티 다 사용하고 거기서 포스트 프로덕션도 하고 학생들이 또 크루 멤버도 하고. Yeah, so he's kind of created his own industry in a way. He's a professor and he teaches film and so uh, he uses the school facilities and often employs his students to be crew members. So 그리고 또 배우들도 이 사람 영화를 좋아하는 애들이 많으니까 그 출연료 안 받고 그냥 같이 재밌게 즐기듯이 뭐 같이 다니면서 얘기하고 술 먹고 이러면 되니까 영화가 무슨 뭐 
얼음물에 빠져 죽고 뭐 이런 걸 찍는 게 아니잖아. 그러니까 배우들도 되게 적극적으로 많이 도와주고 보답받고. Right. It's a totally different experience, I'm sure. Um, a lot of Korean directors, yourself, um, you know, Park Chan-wook, have had um, international success in the last, you know, several years. It, it, um, your names are being well-known around the world. And so, is there anybody in Korea that you think should be more popular or, or that, you know, people in America should know about that we don't? I Maybe the, he, he's already quite known, the, the Na Hong Jin, the young guy. He made only two movies, all invited by Cannes Film Festival, The, the Yellow Sea mm -hmm. and The Chaser. It's a very... The, 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 yeah, so Na Hong Jin, he's, uh, you know, he makes really dark, violent thrillers and strong visuals. He's a very talented filmmaker, so you should check him out. Yeah, yeah I think I've seen the title, but I haven't seen any of his films. Yeah, Chaser yeah. and Yellow Sea. Okay, yeah. awesome. Um, so, going, going back to your films specifically, um, I notice occasionally you use, it's not quite incongruous, but... Um, kind of unique music at certain points of your mm. films like for like the host I feel like there's a more of a romantic string kind of thing than like yeah. you would get in a typical monster movie and it's not yeah, a typical yeah, monster yeah. movie it's more expensive yeah. than that and then there's like the jazz score in Barking Dogs Never Bite <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> do you have music in mind when you're writing or when you're doing storyboards or does that come later? Mm. 이 얘기 저 얘기도 많이 해보고 뭐 실험도 많이 해보고 설국열차에서는 벨트람이랑 그 스시바 장면 때문에 얘기를 많이 했던 것 같아. 거기가 좀 전체 음악하고 좀 다른 음악이 나오지. Um, so it's not like he has certain points in the process where he sets certain things. Uh, it all kind of comes together when they come together. Uh, you know, discussions with the composer. Uh, that sort of thing. In the case of, uh, you know, a lot of experimentation, in the case of Snowpiercer, um, a lot of discussion went into creating the piano piece that you hear in the sushi bar section. Um, it's very different than the other music yeah, so after that brutal, violent uh, axe battle, you know, they're all just kind of in a daze in this uh, spotless uh, sushi bar, um, looking out the window, and there's a frozen sea, and they're eating fish, and he just wanted to capture that that feeling and mood. Yeah. So to Marco Beltrami that I suggest the let's watch the Deer Hunter together and there is a moment the in the beginning part of Deer Hunter is a very long sequence of the wedding. Mm -hmm. And the very final shot, the scene of wedding is the the, the big guy playing the piano 
in the very dark mood, mm-hmm. in very calm, and the, the 낮은 키를 이렇게 뚱뚱 치는 게 있는데 그러고 이제 장면이 탁 바뀌면은 두두두두 하면서 이렇게 헬리콥터 나오는 부분 어릴 때부터 그 부분이 되게 인상적이었는데 그래서 그 거기서 하는 그 마지막 베트남으로 떠나기 직전에 그 피아노 연주 같은 그거를 레퍼런스로 얘기를 좀 했었지 베트남이랑. So you know, uh, just before they go off to Vietnam, like that scene, the wedding scene ends with uh, the sky playing a very low key, this uh, moody piece on the piano. Just cuts to the sound of the helicopter. And, uh, from a young age, when he first saw the movie, it just was a very sort of memorable moment. 그리고 개인적으로 그 문이 확 열리고 이제 도끼 군인들 쫙서 있는 거 나올 때 그때 음악을 되게 좋아하는데 그거는 뭐 전적으로 벨트라미의 어떤 어, 그 어떤 능력이었지 역량이었지 벨트라미가 멋있게 보여준 yeah, 내가 뭘 제시하진 않았고. So the the moment when the gate opens and we see the the axe soldiers waiting for the the rebels, that music that we hear is all Beltrami. He just he came up with it, and uh, it wasn't like he had a prior discussion with director Bong. And it's just one of the great sort of pieces that he really likes. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and I mean, talking about changing the mood. I mean, th- this movie since it's. You know, in one technically one location the whole time, like it, yeah, yeah. you know, it can feel really. You could feel really that. confined, or it could get like yeah. repetitive. But you do a really good job of like, you know, changing. You know, when you go to the school, it has a totally different color palette, yeah, and it looks, yeah. you know, and uh, yeah, that's that seems logistically that was uh, difficult but awesome. Um, do you have a favorite part of the filmmaking process? Do you do you are you eager to start writing, or are you eager to get into the editing suite, or? Yeah. I, I really hate scriptwriting. So, <laughs> so lonely and painful. Yeah. <laughs> and I really love the the sound process. Mm-hmm. 그, 영화를 이제 다 찍었구나 하는 안도감이 있고. 어, 첫 번째는. 어. Yeah, so it just kind of feels like oh, he's done with shooting and he kind of feels yeah. like he's finished. 불안감이 좀 사라지는 면이. He feels uh, assured or feels less uh, worried. 그리고 mm-hmm. 눈을 계속 혹사시키다가 이제 눈이 아니라 귀로 신체 부위가 올라가면서 그게 되게 신선하고 기분이 좋아지는 육체적으로도. And physically too, you go from just like looking and using your eyes to switching to a different organ, and now it's about all the ear. 그리고 영화를 찍다 보면 어디 뭐 들판에 나가서 비를 맞으면서 고생을 하기도 하고 그 냄새 나는 기차 세트에서 막 숨이 막히기도 하고 그런데 이제 사운드 그 사운드 스튜디오 가면 일단. 되게 쾌적해. <웃음> 시설 자체에서 거기서 오는 변화남도 있고. So you know, it's just like this calm environment to be in the sound stage, in the sound studio. You know, like shooting often takes you to like a rainy location, or in the case of Snowpiercer, just really cramped, smelly sets. Uh, so once he gets there, it feels great. <웃음> And also in, in sound, what works in sound process. There is no limitation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can do everything. We right. can try everything. Right. Yeah, we can. Well, imagination만 있으면 뭐 모든 걸다 해볼 수 있으니까 그리고 그런 걸로 인해서 또뭐 위험하거나 뭐 버젯이 깨지거나 뭐 그런 것도 별로 아니고 모든 걸다 트라이얼 해볼 수 있으니까 좋은 것 같아. Yeah, so it's great because you can try anything. You know, just as long as you can imagine it, anything mm-hmm. is possible, and it's not like there's 
a dangerous aspect or there's a budgetary concern. Right. So he thinks that the sound process is <laughs> the best, the, the most happy for him. That, yeah, that's great. I mean, uh, I, as I mentioned, you know, I noticed the sound, not just music, but, you know, like in that, in that axe fight, you know, the yeah. slicing sound that you get in the, Ching! oh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you feel it when you're hearing it, you know, it's, yeah. it's definitely there, so, um, so there's been a bit of a controversy with this one uh, in the States because there was yeah. the talk of it getting cut, and yeah. luckily, that didn't happen, and I, I for one, am happy that your cut got, you know, released uh, here. Um, did did that whole situation, did that cause you a little bit of hesitancy about working with, like, American companies going forward? Like, if, if someone <laughs> approached you about making some American action movie, would you, you know, would you be interested, or would you... Well, I want to creative control 항상 나의 원칙이니까 항상 나의 원칙에서 뭐 그거는 계속 변하지 않을 것 같아. 그 전에 한국에서 찍을 때도 그랬고 이번에도 약간 좀 우여곡절이 있었지만 결국은 나의 디렉터스 컷을 하게 됐으니까 역시 나는 그런 쪽으로 행운이 따르는 사람인 것 같고 앞으로도 계속 그걸 지켜나가고 싶어. 그래서 그런 것만 가능하다면 뭐 미국이건 프랑스건 일본이건 다 영화를 하고 싶고 뭐 이번 경험 때문에 내가 아, 미국 회사나 뭐 이쪽 디스트리뷰터하고는 절대 만나지 말아야지 뭐 이런 생각하는 건 전혀 아니고 이번엔 그냥 어쩔 수 없이 그렇게 벌어졌던 일이었다고 생각해요. Yeah, so um, he's used to having 100% creative control and that's his sort of guiding principle and whether it's Korea or Japan or France or the US it's really about that and if he can maintain that he's open to whatever comes. Um, obviously with the Weinstein Company there was a process of, it was an up and down process, it was a bit rough at times, but you know he feels lucky that he was able to get his movie the way he wanted it seen to theaters here. Um, it's not like he's, he's saying I'm never going to work with these guys again or I'm sure. going to do things here again. Um, not like that. 극장에서 디렉터 스쿼시 개봉돼서 기쁘긴 한데 이제 작년 7월에 뉴저지의 파라무스 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 뉴저지 파라무스란 데서 약한 250명 정도의 사람들이 그 20분 잘라진 버전을 봤잖아. 지구상의 유일하게 그 20분 아인스타인 20분 잘린 컷을 본 사람들 있잖아. 그분들을 다 다시 와서 디렉터스 컷을 보여주고 싶어. <웃음> 그 사람들 따로 초청해서. So uh, last year um, during this process we tested the movie in Paramus, New Jersey, where um, a 20-minute shorter version was played to about 250 people. Uh, looking back on it now, he he wishes he could invite this, those 250 people back and show them the director. Yeah, the, yeah. <웃음> 그리고 it didn't go well. Huh? Yeah, <웃음> 불법 다운로드 다운로드 파일로도 일부 본 사람들이 있는데 그 사람들도 극장에서 한번 보여주고 싶은 막 그런 마음이 들어. 또 거기 막 중요한 그 한국 캐릭터가 송강호가 하는 캐릭터 그 송강호 캐릭터 대사 중에 되게 그 플롯상 엄청 중요한 것들이 있는데 걔들을 거기에 잉글리시 서브타이틀 없이 막 봤을 텐데 그런 사람들도 다 극장에서 한번 보여주고 싶고. <laughs> and also, you know, the, at one point, a lot of people downloaded the movie illegally and saw the film, and he'd like to uh, invite them back to see it in the theaters, uh, because one of the most important characters 
the movie speaks Korean and there wasn't any subtitles uh, yeah. on that <laughs> file, so right. it would be great for them to come up. Yeah, so there's like <laughs> secrets that are revealed, right? Very key plot points and 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 turns. That, uh, 하여튼 사연이 많은 영화인 것 같아. 우여곡절이 많아 이 영화가. 팔자가 세다고 표현하지 동양에서는 그거를. So you know, it's it's just sort of fate or destiny. Like it, just this movie, it's just had so many ups and downs, and uh, <laughs> it's been a, an interesting ride to get to this. Point. Yeah, well, there's definitely. As I'm sure you know, been a vocal contingent of you know cinephiles here in America that were clamoring for your cut, and so we're <laughs> rejoicing that we get to see your vision of the film. Uh, I think she wants me to ask one more question, so I'm gonna I'm gonna end it with the most difficult question: Is Tilda Swinton really the coolest person in the world? Because she seems like it to everybody. Is she really the coolest person in the world? Tilda는 뭐 나는 나 같은 이제 크리에이터 입장에서는 정말 천사지. From a creator standpoint, she's really an angel. 그리고 악마이기도 하지. 좋은 의미에서 정말 귀여운 악마. And also the devil, but a cute. <웃음> 머리가 막 회전되게 만들지. She really like stimulates the imagination and challenges. Right, I I can totally see that happening. 그그 언니 자체도 또좀 졸라 창조적이고. And she herself is really creative. Yeah. 매 10초마다 뭘 하나씩 하지 않으면 견디지 못하는 사람이니까. Every ten seconds she's got to do something to pick about something. Drop the ball! Well, she's fantastic in the movie and I really enjoyed it. So, I, and I thank you for um, having me here. Um, I really appreciate it. And, you know, hopefully next time you come to Seattle you can spend a little more time. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All right, so that was the uh, the Bong Joon Ho George Sanders show interview, and and Mike, the only uh, follow up question I really have for you is is did you give him a link to uh, our 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 twenty ninth episode wherein we talk about the train and uh, Emperor of the North? You know, Sean, it it, it slipped my mind, um, mm. but can because you can hear if you listen to the interview, hear the moment that my mind gets completely blown um, when. He he talks about the train, and then he mentions Emperor of the North, and I go, I forget what I, I go like, what? <laughs> like, I swear, in the moment, I was a prank. Like I, I was like, because those two movies, seriously. Um, but that was awesome. Well, clearly, uh, clearly, he's he's a fan and and knows that episode well, and clearly and he did his you. research. Before. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sure, I'm sure, you know, did on the plane. From San Francisco, uh, on the way up to Seattle, he just spent like the two hours just researching our show. These guys don't just That's... sit in the hotel rooms asking random questions from whoever walks in. You know, they <laughs> they do their research. They they know yeah, who they're talking right. to. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know. Yeah, I, I, I also, you know, I I appreciated that you asked him about Hong Sang Soo, although you didn't really ask him like the exact phrasing of the question that I wanted you to, which was, you know, what what is it like to drink with Hong Sang Su, which is what I really want to know. But I, uh, I mentioned getting drunk. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well you're it, doing it was the fun. next interview. You can interview Hong Sang Su a year from now. How does that I'm trying to think of a way to like transition to this to our next uh segment and and I can't really so speaking of Hong Sang Su, 
let's uh, <laughs> talk about his uh, his uh, 2000 feature, Virgin Stripped Bare by Her Bachelors. So that was a clip from Virgin Stripped Bear by Her Bachelors, uh, the 2000 film from director Hong Sang-soo, the prolific Hong Sang-soo, uh, if we didn't get that across in the earlier segment of the show. Uh, this was the only film that you had not seen before, Sean, uh, before reading the show. And so I'm, I'm glad that uh, we finally got to complete your Hong Sang-soo uh, calendar or whatever you've got at home there. Um, the story here is... Uh, it's very low key. It's, 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 it's pretty much the opposite style and tone and story as uh, Snowpierce. But it's about a, a young woman, a video producer, writer, um, who meets a young gallery owner and he tries to and it kind of goes in different um, segments. This courtship of sorts um, which mostly involves getting and trying to paw at her for the most part. Um, the interesting thing about the film is that it's, it's kind of split down the middle where we get eight to 10 scenes or so um, showing them interacting, showing the progression of this relationship between the two of them. And then in the second half of the movie, it, does, it shows the same scenes for the most part, but from a different perspective and lines, different things happen slightly different. Like someone in, in, in an earlier scene in a, a restaurant, uh, a fork gets knocked on the and in the, in the later scene, it's very similar, but a spoon is knocked down on the ground. Um, and so it has this kind of Rashomon kind of style to it where it's kind of, um, you know, questioning, how memory works, perhaps, or, or you know, the truth in a situ in a given situation. Work. Um, like I said, this is your the final Hong Sang Soo film uh, up until today. Uh, I have one out very very soon. Uh, I think there's one that's done, right? The 2014 one that's. Yeah, actually, I I think actually since uh, we last uh, uh, did a George Sanders show. 
uh, he's got another movie listed on IMDb. Like I don't think it was, <laughs> I don't think it was there when we looked before. But yes, he he does have another one, uh, uh, Hill of Freedom, which uh, doesn't have a release date yet. It's it's expected. It was like one of those ones that was expected to play at Cannes, but then it didn't get selected at Cannes because they only played European movies there. Um, right. Something like that. So I'm I'm sure it'll be out and uh, you know. Uh, play Toronto or something. Yeah, like Toronto, that. Vancouver, yeah. the the fall film festival circuit. So. Right. Okay. Well, let's not talk about that one yet because it exists in our orbit. Um, but let me ask you about about this. So you are a professed Hong Sang Soo fan, um, and you're going to school me in this discussion because I've only stumped. Um, but. Uh, from what I know about him, there's a, a split, and correct me if I'm wrong, like, he's got his kind of early and he's got his later style, right? Is that correct? Yeah, that's, it's, of, that's more of a, it's more of a, like a progression uh, from his early films to his later films. Like, there's not like a, a, like a clear turning point where, where suddenly he stopped doing one thing and started doing something else. Like, he, his, his style got, kind of gradually evolves to the point that it's at now. And this one is, is, is stylistically different from his later films. Like, uh, how many of, of his films have you seen before? I've, I've only, prior to this, I, the only one I'd seen is In Another Country, which I very, very much. Okay, so the, yeah, that's, that's one of his, his latest films. And so in, in, in Another Country, you'll, you'll note uh, the use of kind of weird zooms that he'll have like a really long shot of two people talking and then all of a sudden he'll like zoom in closer for no real apparent reason or his uh he'll have all these compositions where there people are sitting at a table and the camera will be you know parallel to the table with uh with the table uh directly bisecting the frame with one person on each side talking to each other facing perpendicular to the camera uh that kind of setup is still in Virgin Strip Barrel by a Bachelors. Uh, they, he has the people sitting at the table, but the camera isn't as straight on as it is in his later Not films. It, it's over to the yeah. side. Um, and he'll have, from a, an angle. yeah, he'll have the long takes and the conversations and he's not like cutting to shot reverse shot over the shoulder takes like you would get in a Hollywood film, but he's also, he doesn't do the zooms like he does it's it's more just kind of holding at the same distance so you you see kind of the elements of his later style there but but it's not quite as fully developed which isn't to say that it's not you know a a competently made film it's just not quite as idiosyncratic as his later stuff is and do you do you prefer like how does how how does this film fall on that line for you do you do you prefer an era of Hong's work or, or, or you're just a big fan of the kit and caboodle and I, I'm a fan of the whole thing. I like, I like his, his later stuff more. Cause I, th- I think it's a little bit more experimental. I think it's a little funnier, but that's, that's just more of a, of a, like a personal predilection. Like I, I like funny things. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't know it. <laughs> and you know, like I, I like I like his early films. Uh, uh, this this was his third feature. Um, yeah, I, I've liked them all. Uh, this one does have. It does seem like a seeing it after his later films. It does seem like an early version of some stuff that he would be trying later on. 
like uh, the the plot setup and the kind of uh, uh, split in the narrative is is very reminiscent of his uh, what I think is is his best film, uh, Oki's movie, which uh, follows a, a similar love triangle between a, a, an older man who's the same man who plays the the video uh, director here and a, a young girl and a and a younger man, and the story is told four times from four different perspectives. This one, it, it's, it's told from two different perspectives, and instead of, uh, of kind of three different or three persons' takes on what actually happened, uh, what we have here is, is like you said, a, a direct rep- repetition of events, which is very similar to the only other black and white film he made, which is uh, The Day He Arrives from 2011, I believe. Uh, but in that one, it's it's more like a like a Groundhog Day series of of repetitions, where it, it just keeps happening over and over again. Whereas whereas here, it's just the two distinct halves. What I like about this movie, or one of the many things I like about this movie, is even in in those halves, not a, a direct um, progressive events like. It starts with kind of the end of the story, or an story, and then kind of goes back to a beginning, and then goes through all that stuff, and then comes back and does that again in the second half. Yeah. So even within its own halves, it's kind of playing with form and, and you know, um, you know, it's not, not very linear. Yeah, and I think I think that kind of uh, starting starting in the middle is is kind of a Hong uh, a Hong trademark. Like you get the feeling like his movies can start and stop at any given time. Like there's not uh, a, a clear plot movement from A to B to C. Like mm-hmm. his, you there there is a sense that his characters have lives that precede the film and and therefore will have lives that that will go on after the film ends. Uh, even if even if his his movie or a section of his movie is chronicling like the beginnings of a relationship, uh, those characters will have previous relationships, or they will have known each other at some time in the past, and then that past will you know continue to inform the way that they behave in the current story. And as the narratives become more complicated, you get you know is is. Is it like a, a formal device where, where like Groundhog Day, you are actually seeing the same events happen twice? Or is it like a metaphorical thing? Like, are these actually the same story in Virgin Strip Bear by Her Bachelors? Is, is this the same story told twice? Or is this two different stories where the same actors play different characters and the point is that her relationships just end up all kind of being the same? That's an interesting take. I didn't read it that way. I could see how you could. Um, you know, I, for a while, I was, I was, I was thinking, as I said earlier, like it, this is more like a Rashomon thing. It'd be one person's pers- watching it when it started to repeat itself. I was like, oh, interesting. whose version of events is this now? Um, but as the, as the movie continued to go on, I kind of threw that. Uh, idea out the window just because when you're watching it or when I, so the men in this movie don't come off too too 
if I can be blunt. They they ne- um, they never do in in Hong's movies. Like his his men, I think are hey, all the guy, they're all really likable. But they're yeah. I mean you know most of the men in his movies are are pretty likable, but they're all just kind of terrible humans. But they're likable terrible humans. If that makes this, sense. I mean, it, it's it's yeah, the yeah the the men are aren't portrayed too well here um and so but the second half of events um the main uh the art gallery the gallery owner um he um he's off a little bit better in in the early goings of that second half and so i was like oh this is his idea going on here um because you know when there's there's a scene where um she finds um on a park bench and the first scene of that he's very um forceful and he's the one that suggests that they're his gloves he says oh are my gloves um or you know can i look at um and then the later scene she's really yeah, i thought these might be your gloves check them out something like that and, and so he's it, she's portrayed in in those scenes as being a reciprocal to his uh shenanigans as it were but uh, and so i was like oh the second half is his story um or version of the events but then that kind of gets window because he's still a jerk <laughs> yeah and there's also you know there's there's things in the second story that that neither of the other two men are are involved in there's scenes where where she is the only character so yeah, I think I think that that question of of whose story is is each half telling is is a really interesting one, and it's it's uh it's one that I also wrote down in my notes, and and I'm not sure whose story is whose because they all kind of make each other look good and look bad depending on the story. Like in the in the right. first story, the uh, there's a scene of of the video director getting really mad at an underling and and yelling at him, and uh, then he feels bad about it. And when the underling comes to like kick his ass, he's like all he's very apologetic, and then it, and then it cuts, and then in the second version of events, uh, we see the end of that scene where the underling just thoroughly ber- berates the video director and like leaves him as like this you know puddling. Uh, uh, in like this this puddle of of self pity and, and tears, so I'm like, is the first version the the video director's version, or is the second version the video director's version? And he's just you know feels really bad about himself, <laughs> and it's really hard to say. Like this this idea of of perspective, because you want to say like this is the movie that this guy made, and this is the movie like that this guy made which is the conceit of Oki's movie. There's like this, this framing story where, where they're all video directors. So you see each of the films as four separate short films, complete with like title uh, credit sequence and, and, and title music dividing up the, the total of, of Hong's film. So you get like that film within a film thing, but you don't see that at all in Virgin Strip Bear by your bachelors or they're like the framing story in, in another country where where it's the uh, the girl is writing a screenplay and the three films that we see that make up the the broader film are the three screenplays that she's writing. Right. Well, I like I like how oblique it is, you know. I I really I find that very refreshing um that it's open to interpretation interpretation and that um yeah, you can you can 
while I watch this, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to watch a movie um, and throughout it, like ascribe different scenarios to it. Um, many of which can be valid simultaneously um, and to, to finish it and still feel, um, you know, n not feel unfulfilled by that. You know, it's, it's nice that there, there are paths, many different paths that you could take with this. Um, and I, I found that very, very cool. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of like the, the magical thing I find about, about Hong. And, and that's why I love his movies so much is, is that there, there is so much that is like potentially occurring in the world of, of the film that we're watching, even though like the events on screen are all very mundane and it's kind of the same thing over and over again. Like people get drunk and they have, you know, awkward sexual encounters with each other while talking about like their grand philosophical, you know, ideas of the universe and, and creating art that really don't make a whole lot of sense. And they're all totally hypocritical anyway. And that's pretty much describes every single one of his movies, but yet there's so much more going on in them. Describes my Friday nights too, if I must <laughs> be completely candid with you. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I feel you're absolutely right. Um, the, while the things that going on are kind of mundane and a little uh, highfalutin at times, it's, it's also hypnotic, poetic, um, in its construction and just the way that it exists uh, and which is what makes it fast, makes it really enjoyable. And, you know, I was as riveted to this watching this as I was to Snowpiercer, you know, I mean, <laughs> there's no ax battle in this or whatever, but um, it, it still, you know, it holds your attention. And it's, it's a movie that really, you know, you were talking about, how Snowpiercer's not very uh, deep <laughs> or whatever. And I'm not saying that there's some like amazing grand truths at the bottom of this, but this is one that I want a lot more um, than something like that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know what it, I mean, I, I, I should expect these things by now, but, but every time I watch a new Hong movie and the narrative changes, I'm like, you know, giddy because I didn't expect it. <laughs> Because I, you know, I'm watching this movie and I'm like, okay, you know, it's, it's neat. It's a Hong Sang Soo movie. There's this relationship. And then all of a sudden it starts over again at the beginning. And I'm like, Ooh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> and those, and then, so like I spend the second half of the movie, you know, trying to remember what happened in the first half and trying to, to kind of catalog all of the different variations and, and, and the repetitions. And, and that's the, uh, that's the the thing with Hong is is it's it's repetition and 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 variation are are what his films are built on and uh, not just you know within a film but over the course of his whole career these are situations that repeat and with variations and um, you know the 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 key line for for Hong for me is uh, is from the end of of Oki's movie and I keep you know, repeating it over and over again and every time I think about him. And it's, uh, at the end of the film, Oki has made a movie about this relation, uh, these two different relationships that these ha that she's had that, that are with the, uh, the two men, uh, that have formed the other points of the love triangle and her movie, as we see her, um, is her, you know, going up on a walk up this mountain first with the old guy and then with the the young guy, 
and we we cut between her two different walks um one year apart with the two different men and the actions are are kind of the same and the dialogue is kind of the same and then there's minute variations in them and then at the end she says you know that she that she made this film in order to try and understand what happened with these relationships but it just wasn't working out like the no matter you know how how strict she was, the actors wouldn't play things, you know, exactly how they happened. And it just ended up being something different. And and her concluding line is that things repeat themselves with differences I can't understand, which is, it's not repeating itself if there's differences, which is like the paradox at the heart of, of Hong Sang-soo. And it just kind of sums up his movies for me. It's, it's things repeat themselves, but they're different and we can't really understand why yeah it's a pretty succinct uh you know thesis statement for his stuff i mean going off of what i've, I've seen of his stuff um that's great um speaking of quotes uh there's a quote in this that you and i both <laughs> latched onto, um which also may be uh a bit of a a telling thing for his work here um because you and i both reviewed this on letterboxd and and uh we quoted the same line which is how about i be your girlfriend only when you drink which um (laughs) i think gets to a lot of what this movie's about yeah Um, it's it's a it's a really interesting line like it's it's funny it's it's a joke right but it's also you know it's a movie about a guy who as as he explains to us, used to drink a lot. He said he used to drink uh, five bottles of soju and three bottles of whiskey. It doesn't say what the time frame for that amount of drinking was, but we can expect it's in a fairly short amount of time that he drank that much. Right. And from a, a, a director who is like one of the, he was famous for his drinking and for the fact that all of his movies contain copious amounts of, of drinking. So what a horrible thing that is to say to an alcoholic yeah well it's also a total score though because then you're like well you're my girlfriend now <laughs> yeah because because you're yeah. always drinking like i'm always wasted yeah you know? but, but it's no, it's it's so it's so like subtly cutting it's like you're you know I'm, I'm not interested in you when you're sober right when you're when you're quote unquote normal yeah um, it's not it's not no, how about how about i be your girlfriend when i'm drinking yeah it's, right. it's worse than that <laughs> right Cigarettes, you know, I only smoke when I'm drinking, you know, I only do, I only do bad things when I'm drinking, you know, so, um, well, speaking of, uh, what you were just talking about, what, how do you feel about like the character of the, uh, director in this movie, the, the video director, um, you know, I don't want to necessarily ascribe this character to Hong, um, but the whole time I'm watching it, if I'm being honest with myself, I'm thinking that that's a surrogate for him. Uh, do you feel the same way or am I just uh, projecting? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, normally, the, the film director is is kind of the, the Hong figure. And, you know, I don't I don't know if it's autobiographical at all. I don't know anything about him as a person. You know, um, uh, if Bong Joon-ho says that drinking with Hong Sang-soo is pretty much like what is depicted in his movies, then then I will believe him. Uh, but, but it is, uh, but the Hong character, the, the video director who drinks a lot and has awkward encounters with women, uh, I think, I think in, in this movie is more the, the younger man than the older one, 
the uh, the art gallery director. He seems uh-huh. more the the Hong surrogate figure in the film than than the the video director. And I think in his earlier films, there you know the the Hong character, Hong in in quotes character, isn't as obviously the Hong stand-in as it is in his later films. Like in his later films, it's always either a film student or a a film director or a film professor, all of which Hong was at one time or another in in real right. life. Uh, I think he he tried to disguise that a little more in in his earlier films, and then eventually just kind of gave up. Because why? Yeah, why bother? <laughs> yeah, because because why bother? Uh, yeah, that 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 older figure seems more like the some of the older figures, like the mentor figures in in his later films, who the the young hero is is often competing with for the heroine and. Uh, in many cases, he'll end up idolizing. He'll be like somebody that the the young that the young character looked up to, and then he will feel uh, uh, betrayed by him as he learns that the older man is not as upstanding as he thought he was because he has just as many you know sexual hypocrisies and 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 terribleness as the young man does. Yeah, and and that well, may it's, it's and that may self- be just because the the actor who who plays him in uh, in in version is uh, is often that actor in the later films, like he uh, he plays that older character in Oki's movie. Well, and, either and way, I, I, also in uh, Arsunhi, I, I believe, if I remember correctly. Uh, either way, which whichever one he plays, like I said earlier, uh, it's it's pretty self lacerating if one of them is him. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, I think I, I just, think I think just as likely they're both, you know, versions of Hong himself. Well, true. Yeah, good point. Yeah, um, I just finished actually today. I finished um, David Foster Wallace's novel, The Broom of the System, um, which is basically a book about a bunch of different men trying to get this one woman to, you know do stuff with them. <laughs> They're trying to manipulate this woman. Um, and it, it was, it was, kind of, it, it, you know, that stuff's not too pleasing. Um, even when it's couched in something that's kind of too, like that book is and funny moments in this movie too, but um, seeing, you know, men pressuring women into things that they're not really that into um can be can be a difficult experience and uh you know i i I had a tough time points in this movie i'll say that much yeah well i think uh i think this one definitely is at least partially from her perspective like i don't know if the second half of the film is is totally her version of events but i think it's it's more her version than than anyone else's and you know that that's unusual for for early Hong. They're they're much more more male centered in his earlier films. Like the later ones have have given more uh, more kind of time and, and care to the the woman's perspective. But uh, but yeah, I, I liked I liked her version <laughs> of the story. I think the movie. Yeah, I think the movie is sympathetic to her. Honestly. You know, it's it's the um, the, the, way g- the guys things. who aren't. Yeah, and it's it's yeah, it's it's pretty rough. Um, and, um, and you know, I don't know if we really should need to talk about this. 
is going to turn into a sad, sad story. Um, the woman um, is uh, Moon, no, uh, Lee Yoon, I believe. She, uh, the star, the virgin, as it were. Yeah, Lee Yoon <laughs> She's really great uh, in this movie. I must say, I'm going to come out and say it. I don't care what you think. Um, but I was, I was very sad to find out she uh, is no longer with us, and she didn't, she didn't live much longer past this movie being. She is. She's, she's, she's terrific. I, I, uh, this was the only movie that she did with Hong, and uh, that, that's too bad. I, I would have liked to have seen her in, in more stuff. Yeah, she's, she's very good. She. What did you What did you think about the uh, the the black and white? Because I I thought, I thought it it, was... uh, it reminded me uh, it initially reminded me a lot of of uh, kind of the French New Wave Sorry? like a, a Francois Truffaut kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But as as the movie went along, what uh, it struck me for for the first time uh, a different influence on uh, on uh, on Hong, which I'd never really noticed before. But but just kind of seeing it in black and white and seeing some like some of the places that they went and the interactions with the characters, uh, it reminded me of Stranger Than Paradise and and Jim Jarmusch. Huh. Uh, uh, I didn't get that at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> from it, I'm not. I'm not dismissing it. I'm not saying that that's not the case. Um, well, like 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 uh, like Hong Jarmusch's films are are mostly you know built around a, a very few characters uh, who spend most of their time just having conversations and and drinking. In in Jarmusch's case, uh, especially lately, it, it's drinking coffee. Uh, but but Jarmusch. So linear, like yes. Well, some ter- some of them are. <laughs> I I feel, I feel like, I mean, okay. I feel like the way that the plots unravel. Yes, like something like uh, control is very repetitive, obviously, but in a in a very. Yeah, well, I'm thinking more than you know, Strange in the Paradise, Mystery Train, Night on Earth, you know. I don't mean so much narratively, like in the in the structure of the stories or anything, just kind of like the general vibe of his movies, and and specifically the look of those early black and white Jarmusch films. Um, yeah, it just that's what it looked like to me, and and it's it's very different from normal Hong Sang Soo. Normally, it's it's very realistic looking, like uh, just. Uh, the the camera is is pretty unostentatious in in Hong Sang Soo's films. Like everything is looks, um, everything is carefully composed. I think, but it doesn't look like it's been carefully composed for a camera. Like his his camera will tend to kind of wander around, and the the zooms feel you know almost amateurish, but. You know, I, I, they're, I think they're done, you know, for an artful purpose. Oh, certainly. Yeah. I don't think there's anything about these movies that are um, thrown off, you know, like slapdash or, you know, kind of off the cuff. Like I feel like these... Are... Yeah, but I, I, think, I think they, you know, like they want to convey that they are just kind of taken directly out of life. So it's it's like it's very carefully you know designed to not look very carefully designed. Oh, I, I think that's, I, that's a great 
Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. Um, yeah. Is this, so is this the only movie that he did in black and white? Uh, uh, the Day He Arrives is also in black and white, which, which is interesting because, like I said earlier, that's that's another one that is like the narrative repetitions, but it's it's over and over again in that one. Um, and that black and white is is uh, is less grainy. It's more kind of a glossy black and white. It, it looks very different. I don't know. Is it was probably digital, whereas whereas Virgin was on film. I'm guessing, just from when the movies were made. But uh, anyway, uh, speaking of Jim Jarmusch, uh, let's listen to uh, Tom Waits' uh, song about drinking. Yeah. our show this time around uh soon uh next month i'm leaving i'm i'm flying away from this godforsaken country and i'm going to germany i'm going to france and i'll be gone for several weeks um but as the final show before i go we're gonna herald my you know departure by talking about a, a film from each and being the geeks that we are we had to, to pick films that uh shared something and so we're picking movies that share the same title long-winded way of saying we're going to talk about fassbender octomese versions of lola so check that out when it comes down the pipeline in a couple of weeks um <clears throat> if you are in seattle sometime in the next few weeks um you should head over to the university branch of the seattle public library because we are hosting throughout the summer free screenings on monday nights of uh, Hitchcock films. We're doing a series called Hitchcock Through the Decades. Um, and we're doing one film from each decade that Hitchcock worked. 
Uh, we just ran the lodger last Monday and uh, we got 45 people on a Monday night for a silent movie. So that was pretty awesome. That was um, pretty cool. But isn't that good? Yeah. That's pre- pretty good, right? Yeah. Uh, it might have been the free pop- popcorn. It might, that might have been what got them. <laughs> Probably. But uh, I will be there uh, introducing the shows on uh, July 7th uh, and, and July 14th, which will be uh, The Lady Vanishes and Notorious. Um, and then I'm out of here. Uh, Summer will be running uh, Rear Window, Psycho, and Frenzy. So if you can make it to any of those, that'd be great. If you can make it to Lady Vanishes or Notice, say hi to me. Uh, and the university branch is uh, right across the street from Scarecrow and uh, Cinema Books. So it's it's basically the greatest block in Seattle. <laughs> so there's there's added reasons to go there. So check those out if you can. And if you are on the other side of the country, uh, in New York, you should be spending this week at the New York Asian Film Festival. And on next Saturday, July 5th, they are playing the original The One-Armed Swordsman, directed by Chang Che from 1967. And there will be a Q&A there with the star of The One-Armed Swordsman, actor Jimmy Wang Yu. So definitely go check that out if you are in the area. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, you can find out more about us and the show and all that stuff uh, at our website, the George Sanders show dot uh, through the Twitter at geo or and hate mail and all good stuff like that uh, at the George Sanders show at gmail.com. Um, I think you said we're going to play some more Tom waits this evening, Sean. Is that right? Yeah. It's all one song, right? I mean, what we've heard so far is all the same song. Is that your, you, me if I'm wrong. you are the worst. <laughs> I'm so disappointed in you. You know, I, I, I like Tom Waits. It's just, it's, you know, that song gets a little repetitive. I'm yeah, saying. You, um, you are driving me and Tom to drink. <laughs> Like you need another excuse. Uh, All right. Well, here's Tom Waits. Uh, We'll see you. I'm not a 